There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow, science, science and superstition. You've entered the, the fifth dimension. dimension. The latest series from the Consequence Podcast Network will open the door into Jordan Peele's new revival of the Twilight Zone, and it will go as far as the limits of the mind itself. Subscribe to the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of hope. All in the name of hope. All in the name of hope. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Consequence Podcast Network. I am one of three hosts today. My name's Mackenzie Gerber, and we are going to be covering Stephen King's The Dark Half, which came out in 1989, followed by a movie in 1993, which is actually pretty good too, but we'll get to that in another episode. Sitting across from me is... Aisha, let me cut you out with my switchblade. Oh, I like that. And I just remembered I didn't do one for myself. So now I got to think of something cool. (laughs) And across the pond in Austin, Texas is... I'm going to say Dan Darkhaf Caffrey. Oh, (laughs) boy. I was going to say High Tone Son of a Bitch, but that's not an alliteration. Or Foxy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That too, yeah. yeah. Mac, there's a there's a good M one that you can do if you're going for M, but uh Oh is there? Um yeah. then I then it's lost. Oh, oh. Mackenzie Machine Gerber. How could I forget? Uh well we're all really excited to talk about this book. It's been a while since we've covered a novel. Um we thought you all needed a little break after Tommy Knocker's uh <laughs> that book is a it's sure and a half, but uh, for those who love Tommy Knockers, uh, it's also a great book. So, uh, <laughs> um, non-committal. <laughs> let's see. What is your first? What would, Dan? What was your your first introduction to uh, Stephen King's Dark Half? So, the Dark Half is actually one of my earliest memories. Not because I read it earlier; I did not read it until later in life. But before I was allowed to read Stephen King, the first book I remember seeing on the coffee table when I lived in Georgetown, South Carolina was a paperback edition of The Dark Half. Um, this oh. would have been in 91, 92, so not too long after it came out. And it was, I think, the one you have, Mac, with the red cover with the sparrows kind of kissing on it. You know the one I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Or maybe Mike. You know, Mike I got it. that. I got that from Mike. Um, I found that at a, a used bookstore. That's a, yeah, that's a really cool cover. I like that. It is. I remember seeing it on the coffee table when I was a kid, and I didn't realize that there were two bird outlines. I thought it was just two dark, like, human eyes looking out. It kind so I of looks... That was cool. huh. it, kind of looks like a masquerade mask yeah that, like, exactly. with the eyes yeah yeah that's totally what i thought it was and so i remember seeing that and then asking my parents about who stephen king was and they told me and i remember they were both reading it at the same time it's like one of the only stephen king books my mom has read i think and they were actually turned off a twinsies <laughs> yeah no yeah exactly oh yeah yeah there's a couple that reads together <laughs> a couple that reads together bleeds together um, <laughs> apparently yeah so they were both reading it and i remember my dad was a, a longtime stephen king fan and they were both turned off a little bit from the violence. Now, my parents aren't prudes or anything. And this, I don't know, compared to something like It, 
it isn't exactly the most violent Stephen King book, but it's violent in a very specific, grisly, almost torture porn kind of way. So I think that was a, a little bit of a, left a bad taste in their mouth. So I remember them telling me that, like, oh, even by Stephen King standards, this is kind of kind of a lot. Um, so yeah, yeah, I remember hearing about that, but I didn't read it myself until uh, years later when I was working my way through uh, through his entire uh, canon. Now, Dan, this is a Stephen King book, but did did you ever have that conversation with your parents that this is actually more of a Bachman book in, in a way? <laughs> And that, yeah, that's why it's its as, like, dour and violent? No, ex- yeah, I had to explain that to him as a young kid. I somehow knew the... <laughs> things hey, hey, they- hey, idiots. <laughs> you may have Bachman raised book. me, but... <laughs> I'm but sure you didn't tell them like that. Because this book was... Um, and we we went into it before, but there's when we were talking offline, there's not a ton of background info in the book, but it was the book kind of written when he was outed as Richard Bachman. So obviously the the George Starr character is a, is a nod to that. And yeah, you're totally on the money, Mac. This, this reads a little bit more like a Bachman book, despite tying in Alan Pangborn and some of the other King's Dominion stuff. I feel like it's violent in a way that, uh, that the Bachman books usually are, but it's also supernatural, which the Bachman books usually aren't. Um, and so I think it's, it's kind of a cool mixture of styles, but yeah, I, I mean, agree. My, my dad, my dad knew the Bachman books, but I don't, I, I should ask him actually, if he, if he knew that Stephen King and Bachman were the same, were the same person by this point, yeah. or if this was like the book that added it, I'm curious about that. I was going to ask that question. I was because I don't know the full history. Did he write this and was getting ready to like out himself, and then he was just outed, or did he write this after he was outed? No. no so he was actually outed during Thinner, right? Right. right. Dan? Yeah. And uh, so, but this is his response to that outing. Okay. Yeah. He was like, you know, if you kill your student, I'm like like he was doing with Bachman at the time mm. because he had, because he kind of had, had to, to. Uh, that's how he came up with the idea for this. And, okay. And, I was uh, curious if it like yeah. ha- coincided yeah. with each other. It kind of, I mean, Sorry, yeah, a should, little bit. Yeah. yeah. I should make that clear. It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, it, the timeline was so short. Yeah. But yeah, this is his response to it. Sorry. Not the one that, uh, outed. And I think by the time thinner came around, a lot of people had, had sort of, um, figured it out right like it was almost like an open secret of a, a little bit and then thinner was the one where he had to be like all right guys the, the jig is up kind of thing yeah uh aisha what was your first encounter with the dark half actually it was when you all asked me if i wanted to read this book oh. and we i think we had a discussion about like i think i was complaining about how it wasn't really his books weren't really horror for me or like grizzly or i was having <laughs> issues with pets or with the cemetery part of things and then I, you guys told me about this book and asked me if I wanted to read on it. And I was surprised when I opened the book. And we were talking about this before we started recording. And I won't go into it until we get to this point. But yeah. I was definitely into it as I started reading. And I was... Nice. As grisly as it was, the murders and everything, I was like, it's so detailed. I can see it. And it's raw. And I'm like, oh, I need to read these Bachman books. Because I remember you all telling me about reading those as well. Whoa. Well, not all. But, you know, like, <laughs> I want to see kind of like... Because this seems like a crossover then between... It, what yes. I what I do know of Bachman books, mm-hmm. and then what I've seen so far with his actual like under his uh, his name, I was supposed to say nomenclature. Ooh. Yeah, it's yeah. early for me, guys. I've been up <laughs> since four fifty five. <laughs> it's it's ten it's about ten a.m. here and snowing hard here in Chicago, and it's in our, our balmy spring weather. Um, so we're, we're really happy that you were able to make it into the office today. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy to die on the way to the office. Uh, right. Yeah, very true. Yeah. <laughs> my dark half will take me out on the way. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my first uh, encounter with the dark half, um, funny enough, 
I watched the film actually. Uh, I'll probably repeat myself on that episode, but I watched the film uh, last year, I think, with Justin randomly. Um, Who plays the. Timothy Hutton. It's Timothy Hutton. Yeah. Oh. And, Mike, and, Michael and he's Rooker. very, yeah, Michael Rooker yeah. plays Pangborn. But but to, to not get into too much of the, the movie talk, yeah. I, I read the book uh, after we read Tommyknockers. Again, this is my first outing with most of these Stephen King books. And um, I read the uh, the Viking, I think it's the first edition of the, um, of the book. Uh, it, it's basically got like a hazy skeleton mm-hmm. on the cover, which I, I yeah. didn't notice that actually is? until I looked at the side of the... <laughs> Oh, the side shit. of the book, because uh, it's covered by the giant Stephen King on the front. You'd think the book was called Stephen King. I was, I'm, I was actually curious about like who made the choice for this this cover if it's the first edition. Because I'm like, who chose to put his name? Just like, is it because of the fact that he was outed, and this is why he's putting his name in such bold print and oh. covering everything out? <laughs> Like, this is Stephen King, not Richard Bachman. Stephen King, listen, kind of thing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, what, exactly. that's what it feels like. Even the font color, it's very bright. And uh, yeah, I think I had a similar thing when I first saw the cover because that's the version I have. I was I just thought it was some weird, blurry, impressionistic thing. But yeah, when you look at the side, it's it's definitely a skull. You is know, it, it? Sorry, I'm looking at it. Is it like? Look at the side. Is it like a, a fetus skull, like the dead twin, maybe? Because the forehead looks a little like. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too far into it. But maybe. Mm, I, I don't mean, think we could ever read too far into these right? things. Yeah, uh, totally. I'm okay with that. I, theory. I like that theory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Although the fetus was never fully uh, realized as we as we read the book, so absorbed. Um, but sure, you know what it yeah. is. <laughs> I prefer that because I've been staring at this the entire time I read it and never realized it was a skeleton. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I really didn't. I, you know, you know. I, although I, I I tend to to take the jet the dust jackets off and leave them at home when I'm reading. I take these things around because I don't want to destroy the the beautiful dust cover that's still somehow already destroyed. Uh, yeah, so that was my first encounter with it. And I was really, I was really thrilled because it does read a bit like a Bachman book, like Dan was saying, but at the same time, it does have that supernatural edge to it. And I, I, after Tommyknockers, I think I was just really excited to read something that was as coherent and solid as this book is, um, for me at least going through it. And I thought like the description, it's very true. What you were saying is I, I was very I could see all of this. I mean, all of the George Stark murders and how those go down. Mm-hmm. I see that hotel room, you know. Now, granted, I saw the film before, but it's oh. funny because when I was reading this and I had seen it recently, I was picturing. I really wasn't picturing those people except for well, Michael Rooker. I, I could not get out of my head, which is <laughs> funny because I, I think I, I usually think of you know like Scott Glenn or or or, or Ed Harris at this point, but I yeah I couldn't get Rooker out of my head. But anywho. Uh, so that was my first introduction to the dark half. I'm really um, excited to talk about it. Uh, we briefly talked about the history. Yeah, ultimately, this was his response to uh, the uh, Bachman kind of coming out. And there's a really cool part uh, right after um, the introduction, which we're going to read here in a second. But it says, uh, Stephen King and his wife, the novelist Tabitha King, live in Bangor, Maine. His pseudonym, Richard Bachman, is still at large. <laughs> so I kind of like that. Mm. Um in theme with the book. Uh, let's see. Uh, since we've already talked about the history, uh, Aisha, do you want to read this, the long synopsis that probably tells you the entire, entire story? Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it doesn't. I don't On know. On a side see. note, wouldn't it be crazy if this is all real and this is something that's happened and he just like is just telling us a true story, but because it's so unbelievable, you know, it's the work of fiction. I 
want to believe that right. <laughs> so bad I, <laughs> I think that would be so cool i've just been watching and reading a lot of stuff and i'm just like in this mindset of like god the world is so messed up that it could be real i mean it'd be cool if it was real but then i'm like freaking out because well the sparrow details alone it yeah. makes me feel like it feels like someone actually lived through this which mm. is really cool okay um all right yeah let's <laughs> get let's get to that Not synopsis the dark half when Thad Beaumont wakes to the nightmare of George Stark, he hears birds, thousands of them, all cheeping and twittering at the same time. And with the sound comes a presentiment full of memory and foreboding. The sparrows are flying again. Thad Beaumont is a writer, and for a dozen years he secretly published novels under the name of George Stark because he was no longer able to write under his own name. He even invented a slightly sinister author biography to satisfy the many fans of Stark's violent bestsellers. But Thad is a healthier and happier man now, the father of infant twins, and starting to write as himself again. He no longer needs George Stark, and in fact has a good reason to lay Stark to rest. So, with nationwide publicity, a bit of guilt, and a good deal of relief... The pseudonym is retired. Let, let me just stop you right there because this literally does read the entire, entire book. I was book. Like, <laughs> it, keeps, it keeps going so much so like, it, it even gives you like the details of like the fingerprints are the same, et cetera, et cetera. Dot, 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 dot. Above Castle Lake, Outriders of the Dead to the Land of the Living, to whom do they belong? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Man, they take you like right to the end. They really do. The, it does, it does. This jacket, yeah. Here is the dark half, a tale of terror so real and fascinating that Stephen King's growing legion of fans will find themselves squirming in the master's heart-stopping, blood-curdling grip and loving every minute of it. And that we did, The Dark Half by Stephen King. Uh, the end, everyone. <laughs> the end. Dan, what's the hook of this book? Ah, uh, yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can... I can change it. You can change it, exactly. I mean, I think we've gone into it a little bit. I, I think it's the whole, <laughs> the whole, the hook of the book. Uh, it's the whole Bachman angle, you know? I think it's, I mean, by this point, we've seen Stephen King so many times write about writers, um, you know, get kind of meta with his work. But I think this is the first one where he's writing specifically about the pseudonym and, and how you present yourself to the public. Um, Misery, which wasn't too long before then, I, I think we we delve into the writer's relationship with their fans. Uh, something like Salem's Lot, uh, we get the writer's relationship with their past. Something like The Shining, we get the writer's relationship with, uh, with um, their family. But I think this is the first one, too, where it's sort of like how you present yourself to the world and, and what the pseudonym is. I, I, think, I think that's the hook, right? Wouldn't you guys say? I mean, I guess we're going to supernatural elements um i don't know you have a little bit of crime some not supernatural but genre elements you have some crime some serial killer type stuff and then you get a little bit of ghostly things with the sparrows i don't know are twins is would twins be a hook is that like a is that a thing you think yeah i mean twins is definitely a prevalent like theme in the book i feel like uh, it's like a, a a more of a cover for the actual hook for it like the twins are just like a what's the word the car used to drive this yeah forward. like a the conduit yeah. yeah thank you um <laughs> i am a twin so i'm glad i'm on this episode i'm a fraternal twin Ooh. uh but uh it'd be more interesting if if i had eaten my twin or if uh <laughs> i was an identical twin but have you guys uh, had like matching bruises or uh you know phantom feelings no um Phantom feelings, maybe there are days where I will just, you know, 
moods will come across, uh, will just kind of move over me for mm. no apparent reason. And sometimes I don't, you know, I don't really think about that at all. But like, I really should check in with my twin and see like what's going on mm. because maybe he's not having a good day. That might be fun. Um, it's it's an it's interesting to read about all that stuff and and definitely interesting when reading this book. Uh, my twin and I we get along really well, but we are very much polar opposites of each other, which is kind of funny. So um, he he is my George Stark in a sense, <laughs> uh, except he's not a killer, um, <laughs> but he is rotting away. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, but you guys do have a very like uh, I mean I've only met your twin once, but th- there is sort of a bizarre version thing going on with with both of you, even in the way you look. I know you're not identical, but you, you kind of do look like these flipped mirror images of, of each other a little bit. At least I think. Yeah, no, I think we definitely look a lot more uh, alike now that we've grown up. I think when we were kids, we we definitely looked a lot different. I just our body shapes, our faces, you know, you grow into all these things. And then and then you're kind of, you know, mirror images of your father or your mother or whoever. Um, but yeah, I, he um, we are very different in many ways, um, but in many ways the same, mm-hmm. uh, like George and Thad. Uh, however, um, when he gets into trouble uh he also does write things about sparrows and then i only know that he's doing that so that that's the only weird thing that um connects us to this book um (laughs) you ever find that there are sparrows following you guys around (laughs) yeah yeah all the time ready to take them away (laughs) actually uh hey mac when when mac uh, mac was in austin not too long ago and we went and got tacos and in Austin, they don't have sparrows, but they do have grackles, which are a lot bigger oh. and scarier than sparrows. Oh They're like gosh. very aggressive crows. And we were at Tyson's Tacos uh, eating on the outdoor patio. And <laughs> no joke, a grackle came and just like snatched a tortilla chip out of Mac's hand. Really <laughs> like freaky. I was going to yeah. eat it and it came and snatched it right out of my hand. And and I had been to Austin the year before and, and never had an encounter with a grackle. I saw them. There's, it's impossible not to see them. They're all over the place. But um, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy, yeah. and and I had just finished reading the book on the plane. I I, I you know read you know the the last hundred pages or something on the plane just because I don't like flying and I like to concentrate on something else. And we were set to do the episode I think the next week, but then Pet Cemetery ended up becoming a month long event. We got all these great interviews and all this great um, stuff we wanted to share with you. But uh, the grackles. I took a picture. I'll share it later of of the grackles. And, and at the same time, Dan discovered uh, uh, eggs, uh, a nest in in his electrical box. So it was it was all very yeah, <laughs> it was right. all very coming kind of coming together <laughs> at the time. But we'll share all that stuff I, now. We we have some documentation of it. Yeah, I've got some uh, I've got some bad news. So yeah, we there was a nest in our cable box, and a bird flew out of it. And we were waiting for the bird to come back. And, and it never did. So then the eggs never got incubated. I, I think oh, no. they just died in there, which is so Y'all sad. But imprinted uh, on those yeah. eggs, unfortunately. And then it's, uh, not long afterwards, Mike was in town for South by Southwest. And he was also reading The Dark After. And then and we went to Tyson's. And the grackles attacked us, too. Uh, so Mac, Mac brought, I think Mac brought the grackles with him to Well, I, I also think the lesson of this is just don't go to Tyson's anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's okay. The Tyson's grackles own it. I'm kidding. They Tyson's is, is worth the grackle attacks. Right? Just fight the... Come prepared. Bring a weapon. Yeah. How do the you fight grackles? I don't know. Maybe just like uh, sprinkle cinnamon on your shoulders or something. Doesn't cinnamon <laughs> kill birds or something? Is, is that is that is that like a, a urban know. legend in I Chicago? I know there was like rice was an urban legend of like, or is that exploding? Oh uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I know like pigeons don't like cinnamon. I think you put it on the on your porch and stuff; okay. it'll keep them away. I don't like pigeons, so that might be. This it. might just be again a total myth, but um, we're dealing in myths and scary things. Fake news. Um, this is a Stephen King podcast, <laughs> so if you have any bird events, bird attacks, uh, strange bird encounters, we'd love to hear it. Uh, definitely uh, hit us <laughs> up on on social media as we uh, go into our our dark half coverage. Now we haven't been. Um, True blue to our categories, so I'm going to set this one up clean and nice. Our next category that we're going to go into is called the structure and format. The structure and format here is pretty simple. I mean, you've got a prologue, epilogue, and you've got three, what, three chapters, three parts? Three parts. It's kind of broken into... The one really cool thing about that, though, uh, and I don't have it queued up, but we'll do it as we continue on, is I believe each chapter starts with a little excerpt from one of uh, George Stark's novels. Yeah, until like the last Machine. one. Yeah, I think the last one's Thad's. Yes, novel, yes. And I do, I like that little switcheroo mm. there because it's um, turning the tables on George figuratively and literally. Yeah, it worked for me. I mean, you know, sometimes the format's really crazy or um, I, I think going into this, I kind of thought it was going to be approached from Thad's point of view and George's point of view the entire time, like like mm. chapter to chapter, chapter to chapter, you know what I mean? Like really Back twinning forth, it. yeah. But I like that most of it's, you're kept in the dark a lot. And then uh -huh. slowly as he comes to life, he slowly comes to life in the book as well. And there are some chapters with him. And we start to spend more time with him as it gets, the, the line becomes hazier there. I like that he also didn't spend too much time on like giving everyone like their own section of background. Like it's basically more Alan, Thad, and George were like the main times where like you had what's going on in their mind. Yeah. The structure, yeah, I was pretty. It, it was pretty easy to follow. I think for me, towards the end, he it seemed like he was kind of drawing it out a little bit too long, which I don't know if that's so much structure for man just writing. But I was like, mm -hmm. kind of, you know, you know, it's coming, and I don't know if that's something that he that's like a trick up his sleeve, where it's like, I know you know it's about to come, but I'm gonna drag this out as hard as I can till. I agree with you a little bit. I think, and we'll cover it in misery. Mm, but okay. yeah, I do agree with a certain aspect of that. Dan, what, how did that work for you? Um, were you? Did you have any preconceived notions of how this was going to go when you first read it? I don't think so. I think because even with the the twinning and starting to lead, lean more heavily on George as we go on, it's still a pretty straightforward linear book. You know, it's not like it or even something like uh, The Stand where we're hopping around a lot. Um, yeah, and Aisha brought up a good point of, even though Tad has his wife and his kids and we have some secondary characters, uh, pretty much all of whom get killed by by George in the middle. Um, we, yeah, we don't really. I think those three are the really the ones that we focus a lot on, which is rare for a King book because I feel like even in his, some of his smaller cast novels, like The Dead Zone or whatever, we which also has um, wait, is, is Dead Zone Pangborn or no? That's uh, Bannerman, right? That's Bannerman. Yeah, it's Bannerman. Um, but even in a novel like that, where it's a smaller cast, we go a little bit more into other people's lives. But this did feel almost very minimal and kind of kind of 
centered on these three people. I mean, really on two people with, with Pangborn as the supporting, which feels very in line with the Bachman book also, right? Like that kind of, yeah. So, and I actually enjoy that. I think just because, you know, coming off, coming off of, um, was the Tommyknockers the last book we did really? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Coming off of the Tommyknockers where we see this, this whole our town kind of (laughs) messy weirdness of a book, which even though I like that book a little bit more than, than some of you, Mm -hmm. um, it's still very sprawling and it's definitely sloppy. So I, I appreciated this return to being lean and mean. Um, so yeah, I thought the structure and format served, served the novel very well. I do have, uh, similar gripes about how long we take to get to the climax, um, which will I'll save for, for misery as well. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the edging to the climax. Uh, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Nothing is out of order in yeah. this book. You know? I think it was right. very rare that he actually went back ever. And even then it was more of like thinking about things in the past while talking to someone in like the current moment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with like Dr. Pritchard and everything like that. Other than that, I've never, I didn't feel like I was ever, I forgot which book I read. Was it it? was the last time I was on something and it felt kind of at times as much as I liked it there were times I felt it was kind of disjointed and so I felt like this was more like continuous flow through time I didn't have to keep figuring out am I in the past or the future or the right. past well the weren't you on drawing of the three? Oh, that's true that's I right I think that was post post it but yes <laughs> drawing of the three was good so you know <laughs> yeah, yeah no complaints the, there the other one <laughs> uh, okay well I think we're gonna move on to our next category we like to call heroes and villains or in this case, villain. <laughs> I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! <laughs> let's kick things off. Let's just let's just hit the the, the main the main four characters. I think first off, uh, we've mm-hmm. got Thad Beaumont, who is uh, a popular uh, a writer, yeah. but more so under his pseudonym, which is very yeah. misery esque. Something's off about that, though. Uh, when he was a child, <laughs> there was a strange occurrence where he was seeing, hearing birds, Having crazy headaches, and um, and some doctors went into his head and cleared out um, some abscondence that was there, um, which happened to be a, a twin that he had kind of uh, assumed, consumed in the womb, which happens a lot, actually, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. However, they find some very strange things there, which we'll save for the cemetery. Thad is our our protagonist of the story, and he is battling a demon uh, named George Stark. What what do we think about that? Do we like Thad as a protagonist? Is he a likable guy? Is he he more of a uh, Paul Sheldon, or is he more of a Jack Torrance? I think he's kind of the middle ground if I'm being honest, because he's not as, he doesn't have as many demons as Torrance does and isn't fighting so much against the darkness in himself, but he's not as, um, I don't know, because I like Paul Sheldon a lot. I wasn't on the misery episode, but he, I think, I know, I know when we've talked about writers like Ben Mears or whoever, we're like, oh, sometimes his oh, writer ben, characters are kind of boring. I would just say, yeah, Sheldon, Ben Mears is yeah. a good one to think of as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, and I don't, I, I don't, I like, I like, I like that. He, he struck me as someone who, if you met him in real life would probably be, polite but kind of reserved and that felt really realistic to me of most fiction writers i know um and i i I think i think the more quote-unquote normal aspects of himself you know the family man the wanting to do the right thing make him pretty relatable and i felt like there was just enough darkness in there to make him somewhat interesting like we hear a little bit about his um you know, his struggles with his marriage and his alcoholism and everything. And, but it, it felt a lot more real and less, ex- I, don't, I shouldn't say real because there are people like Jack Torrance, but it felt, 
less drastic and extreme. And I think it had to be because if he was, if he was like the typical troubled writer, then I think it would have made the George Stark stuff seem way less um, on the other end. Does that make sense? Like I feel like you kind of need to have to be normal for George Stark to work. Mm-hmm. So that, so I don't know. I was, I was a thad. He's not my like. Do you guys say Tad or Thad? How do you, how do you say it? I, I'm I've been saying Thad Me because I, I because yeah, I think right. of Thaddeus. Yeah, you know? and they call him Thaddeus or yeah. Raleigh calls um, him Thaddeus. But then I've I've heard people say Tad as well. And I, there's Tad. Um, Tad is the kid in Cujo, also, right? So probably is right. Thad. So I'm thinking it's it's a, it's a choose your own adventure novel here. Yeah. So however you want to say, say it, we'll uh, right? we'll, we'll not, allow it. We're not in your head as you're reading <laughs> yeah. this, so I'll call him Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did, did you? Yeah, like, so he, he's oh, not sorry. my favorite, but yeah, and I was saying, he's not my favorite. But I think for the the function of this book, he makes a lot of sense. Like I, I don't think he could be another way. I think he has to be normal with a little bit of darkness in him for the the Stark character to work. Yeah, I would agree in the sense. Yeah, he was necessary. There were points. I don't know. Uh, if I knew him as a real human being, I probably wouldn't like like he um, Dan was saying before. Like he seems like a nice enough guy, kind of quiet and reserved. Um, but like there were points where in the story that kind of frustrated with me with his line of thinking and how he like responded to certain things. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like, is it because you intentionally, and this is maybe something about King too. Like, is this an intentional move that, you know, it's going to like blow up in your face, but you're still going to do it anyway, which I guess would be representative of that dark side in a sense, that self-destructive nature that kind of helps to give life to Stark as well. Um, that was all right. I don't know. He, I could tolerate him. Oh, a little above toleration, but like oh, there's wow. just certain points where I was. But I liked him as a character in juxtaposition to Stark, and that there's something I'll talk about later when we get into uh, when he first kind of makes contact and takes over Stark later. Yes, yes. That I liked in the writing style, and that kind of made me like that a little bit more. Right when he starts taking a little bit more control mm. of the situation, I think that is. A perfectly uh, fun character in this book. I I think he's a good, he's, he's a gender he's a, he's a good he's a good guy. You know, it does honestly. It's funny because all this talk about Stephen King and and Bachman. Like I I didn't picture Stephen King in this book, but I kind of pictured him as Stephen King's personality mm. and like the way you know it really is very close to him as a writer. I think that in terms of writing, like uh, drawing out who that is. Um, who's this perfectly normal guy, really, but he, he does have this dark side. And, and think, yeah. people are always curious about that. I, I love watching uh, talk shows where they have Stephen King on, and, and you have these people that probably never read a Stephen King book in their life, and they're like, you know, why do you write such scary stuff? <laughs> and he's just like, you know, Jesus, like I got to answer the same question every single time I do these things. But uh, he seems like such a dour, nice person. They're always very surprised at how normal he is. Right. And I think, no, that's how most people are. They're but very normal, but you might have a little dark side to you. Cool. You can see Thad's inner thoughts. And that made me think of like, is if this is like you're saying, Stephen King's kind of like, if you associate it with his personality, then it's like, okay, what is this man thinking when he's on these talks or just in general? Because some of the things that I think that made me dislike that a little bit were these inner thoughts that you we had access to that mm-hmm. everyone else didn't have access to. Um, and I would say that that is a very Bachman thing where we, we kind of see like the ugly side of, mm-hmm. of like the human thought process in a sense, you know, like okay. what, what is he actually thinking? You know, like before you're able to censor yourself, like we're, we're tapped into his actual thought process, which sometimes isn't very attractive. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not very heroic or anything. It's just, it's very like real, um, in a way, but yes, I agree. Um, so that's that. Uh, and he is married to 
Liz, Liz, Beaumont. I like how yeah. I'll have to take a second. Like, what's her name? <laughs> I was like, are we supposed to call her Elizabeth, or <laughs> I was like, is it Liz or Elizabeth? Uh, I'm gonna throw this back over to Aisha. Do you think Liz is a strong female character written wise? Like we were saying, the main three characters were Alan, George, and and Thad, and I think that that's true. Mm-hmm. I do think Liz is in a lot of this, but what are, what are your thoughts on Liz's character? It, there were times where, I, to be honest, and I, I knew this question would come up too when I was reading it, and I was like, oh, Liz, come on. Because there would be points yeah. where it was almost like as King is, was trying to give her, like, she's a strong woman to be, like, with the Sioux. She, like, got over the miscarriage. I'm sorry if I just spoiled that. Um, no, hopefully people have read the book. Yeah. And this point. <laughs> but, you know, like, it's a difficult thing for, like, as I know someone who's been through that, it's a difficult thing to go through. Um, and you have to be a strong individual for that. But it was kind of almost like King would give her moments of strength and then like at the same time a backhanded compliment in, in, in the sense of like making her appear very weak where she just faints suddenly and like right. it just seemed like a total contradiction to like this strong individual, which I mean people are, have multiple sides to themselves. You can be strong and have weak moments and things like that. But it just seemed like he was almost contradicting her strength which yeah. bothered me a bit, which is why I said she wasn't kind of like a lead for me. She just kind of appeared as a, especially in the dream sequences in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, she appeared more as like a prop to like a weak thing that Stark could attack. Right, right. Yeah, and I felt the same way. I, th- I think that she is set up as the damsel in distress, and they, I mean, which they kind of have to do at the end. And I guess you didn't really have to do that. You've got mm-hmm. two infant twins that could have just been that focus, mm-hmm. but... Um, but yeah, I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that she is very strong in certain moments and written that way from her point of view. But then, yeah, then she's fainting or, or, or you know, not not able to um, protect against George Stark. Now, granted, I got to say, even if, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was there at playing Liz and George Stark comes bumbling and boiling and falling apart yeah. and, and this giant, you know, six foot whatever demented david bowie as described in the book <laughs> i don't know i don't think uh I, I i don't think i'd be as strong as i would as, as thought so, i was you know yeah. um but uh she's fine i mean i like their interplay i like i do really yeah. love that chapter between the two of them and alan on the porch when yeah. they're all talking um we get a little we get a lot of like good uh, character development with them which is rare for king books but not necessarily mm. bachman books i think we get a lot of character development in bachman books usually so that's pretty cool um dan what did you think about liz it's funny that you said schwarzenegger because doesn't king compare stark to schwarzenegger at, at uh, some point remember like when uh thad's describing him he talks about him being like a more not out of shape but like a not working out so much schwarzenegger yeah he like says like arnold schwarzenegger after a certain time period i just oh. can't remember yeah. that i remember the reference Maybe that yeah, was in the so, maybe that was in the back of my head, the my yeah, third eye. Um, <laughs> I'll spare for you. Yeah, no, I, I think you you both have covered it. Um, I, I think that's why I made that joke of like, oh, we couldn't remember her name, not because she's a terrible character necessarily, but I mean, she she does feel like she's there to serve the men in the book, and I you know, I get that that happens with uh, especially partners in books, both men and women sometimes. But I think with King, because I mean, I don't know, it's it's strange because I mean like Annie Wilkes is such a strong female character and like, it's not like King can't do that. But I think sometimes when it comes specifically to partners or spouses, 
whoever the partner is of the main character, whether it's a man or a woman, it does feel like second banana a little bit mm. sometimes. Um, and, you know, whatever. That's like not every character can be completely memorable. But, yeah, I definitely felt that way in this book a little bit. Like I can't I don't even remember much from Liz beyond the stuff you guys have already described. Yeah. And, and I guess having said all that, sometimes, you know, it's not like every single woman that's written. It has to be this strong. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, like, that, you know, you run the gamut and this just happens to be who this character is in this right. book. And she's not a super extremely pivotal. If she came in a lot more towards the end and they really made her a, a like a, a hero in a sense or, or, or something, if they ended up really yeah. using her down the line, but she is very kind of... Um, I feel like if they had used her, it would have supported those moments where he wrote her in as like having these like specific thoughts and feelings and like, especially when she's talking to Alan, trying to help like get him believe, to believe that George is real... You know, she comes in in these moments. And I'm like, yeah, okay. She's yeah. very. Deter- she knows what she's talking about. She's supporting, but like, she's she's a strong, independent, self like forward thinking person. And then you kind of just like drop her. Because uh, in my head, I think there was a point where I was like, okay, King, where are you going with this? Because I see two lanes, and you keep swerving back and forth. Yeah, mm. it's like he didn't. It's like he wasn't quite sure where he wanted her to go. Um, and then she just was there. Uh, <laughs> well, that's Liz Beaumont for you folks. Uh, next up on our docket is another hero we like to call <laughs> Alan Pangborn. Um, we here at the Losers Club, I just want to throw this out there, big Pangborn fans uh, across the board. <laughs> so very excited to see him uh, surface in this book. Uh, Dan, what did you think about uh, Alan's portrayal in, in this book? Is this the first time we're seeing Alan? Yeah, I, I was trying to remember because I feel like because I the feel other- like maybe it is, but it doesn't feel like it because we've talked about Castle Rock so much. The the show. I well, mean, right. Um, I mean, it's definitely not the first time we've seen him on the pod in terms of that. But I think you know, yeah, I'm going to look this up. But I I have a feeling that uh, this is the first Pangborn book because it because we haven't gotten to Needful Things yet, right. and in. Uh, Dead Zone, we meet Bannerman. Bannerman gets killed in... in, Or sorry, I'm sorry. In the Dead Zone, we meet his his predecessor. So in the Dead Zone, we meet Bannerman. Then in Cujo, Bannerman gets killed. And do they mention Pangborn at all in Cujo? Maybe? I don't think so. I don't think they did, but I I think I'm getting confused because they mention um, Bannerman in this one when he's talking about how he... This is the first instance of Bannerman. Wow, yeah. It says uh, he seceded um, uh, uh, Bannerman. I'm sorry. Pangborn. <laughs> Pangborn. He seceded Bannerman as sheriff and faced uh, George Stark in this book. And then um, uh, he'll be in Needful Things where he faces another foe, uh, Leland Gaunt. And yeah. then recently appeared in Castle Rock, uh, which was um, just great. Scott Glenn was so good in that. He's awesome. Um, I, th- I think it feels like it's not his intro because we spent so much time on the podcast talking about him as a character um, on Castle Rock and, and that show in general. Yeah. But yeah, this is the first book appearance. Um, I mean, I, I love Alan Pangborn. I don't know. King's law enforcement characters I generally like. I just like the way he writes cops. I think they always come across as very practical, like kind, but also practical and a little bit world weary. I think that comes across like in his distrust of, uh, of Thad. I mean, I, and once again, I won't talk too much about it. I'll save it for misery. Mm. I the the this isn't a fault of the character; it's more of like the plotting. It gets tough for me at a certain point because, as an audience member, as a reader, 
I know, I already know the truth. I know that Stark is actually here and that Thad isn't lying about that. And I do feel like there are a lot of pages dedicated in the beginning of the novel and somewhat in the middle toward Pangborn, like sorting through the mystery of it all. You know what I mean? And that gets a little tiring because you already know what the mystery is. But as a character, I like him quite a bit. And, I, and it's weird because in many ways he feels similar to Bannerman, but also different. He, he almost feels like the rookie version of Bannerman, which I suppose is, um, makes sense given you know, his age and everything like that. So I'm a, I'm a big a big Pangborn fan. And I've, I like all the actors who have played him also in the various, uh, various incarnations. Yeah, I think it's really cool to see him uh, surface here. And, you know, again, my, my only encounter with him so far has been in the film versions um, and television version. Um, but I like him and I, I agree he is kind of the rookie version of Bannerman because Bannerman's very like even the way that he's played by Scarrett in uh, Dead Zone it's very like he doesn't really believe in this stuff at all so it was really fun to see Alan there's a chapter um, where he's talking about like uh, uh, everything that's going on with Alan I mean with oh, God, God with that and George <laughs> and then he starts to talk about like I, I like he's convincing himself that he doesn't believe mm. and i really like it because you know that he deep down is starting to believe that thad and liz about george and who he actually is and maybe there's something otherworldly there and i like that he's a little bit more in tune with that and a little more open to that idea and i think obviously down the line we will see that go another um an extra mile um which helps him uh, be the the hero he needs to be over the course of the next few um appearances in in his stephen king uh, outing like he's in other <laughs> books or something Adventures. Uh, <laughs> yeah um, and obviously we're going to go further into all these characters but this is a little little rundown of the heroes yeah. and villains um, I do like there's... that he does uh, was it shadow puppets randomly that oh, yeah, surprised yeah. me I was like alright Alan <laughs> I see you there uh, hey these people are real characters they're real human beings in <laughs> real this book, talents you know? <laughs> um, we could talk about other characters that are heroes uh, but, I, but more so victims yeah. Um, yeah. so we'll leave those to the cemetery I think and uh, just jump right into unless you guys think otherwise I think we need to start talking about someone who um, doesn't really exist but apparently does George Stark, the writer of the Alexis Machine novels. A high tone uh, son of a bitch. Yeah, the high tone son of a bitch. bitch. I love that phrase. Uh, I need he, that bumper sticker. Oh yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If someone, it's exist, right? if it's there's a, if yeah, if there's a fan out there that makes that bumper sticker, please, please shoot, shoot that. I don't even have a car. I'll just us, put it please. on something. Um, I know. I'll just throw it on. I'll just slap it on my back whenever I'm yeah. walking around. George Stark is the guy that takes over. He loves Black Barrel. Uh, number two, was it number two pencils? pencils is it a number two pencil? It is like Beauty Black Barrel Beauty. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I love that little. I just love that. <laughs> I love that he writes in pencil and Thad writes on the typewriter. I love that he his description is basically that he is he looks a lot like Thad, but no. it's just a, an exaggerated version. I almost think like. All I could think was like Cool World, like a cartoony version of him, you know, but like, but like realistic looking and falling apart. Uh, And I do like that they mentioned the David Bowie thing in the description of uh, when Liz is like, oh, I can just picture him being like this exaggerated, like kind of scary David Bowie looking uh, blonde hair character. And then then it gave me a whole nother vision of what Thad, I guess, looked like, because I was not picturing David Bowie at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I pictured Thad in this. But George Stark, uh, I think he's a great villain. 
He's scary as hell. His use of just like also his phraseology, I think, too, was very, for me, entertaining because there were so many phrases and I was like, what are we talking about? Like full stuffing. I, I, I wanted to look it up and see if it actually had like some sort of historical reference to it. And I just totally forgot. But, uh, the train station, like his use of uh, metaphors and just the way he kind of like talked about his, how he would torture people or like when he was actually torturing people, the way he would discuss like uh, Miriam, when he said like happy thoughts and you're like, if he loses yeah. those happy thoughts, I was like, wow, I would be terrified. A <laughs> and B at the same time thinking that was a very clever way. Like that's a weird kind of space to be in where you're like both very in tuned and very like, in awe of someone who would potentially murder you, but also very terrified of them. I think, and, 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 and Mike mentioned this on our uh, Halloweenies podcast. Um, uh, I think we were covering the Rob zombie when you just have this hulking figure of a man come into a house. I think when he attacks the, I want to say Starodes, Dan. Yeah. He, um, he just, when he just comes just, in and then did, he just, they just burst into their house and just like, yeah, I mean, it's like, what do you do? Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. that's why I think that Liz and the twins are in some real danger. And, and even as badass as we want her to be, I think that uh, if someone came in like that, I, I think I would just, you just submit. You're just like, uh, it's just daunting. You know, you just mm. like, you can't wrap your head around it. And I think that he's that kind of character. And, and I, uh, I like that you said, like the way that he talks and the, the things that he has to say. I've got a, a couple, a few quotes here that I wanted to read real quick. Um, I love it when he says, uh, when you fuck with this high tone son of a bitch, you're fucking with the best. <laughs> or uh, he says, uh, when you started cutting, you finished cutting. cutting. Yes. <laughs> I love that line. I love that line. But he's creepy. Uh, or, or like when he shows up at, uh, at the door, at Liz's door at the, towards the end of the book, and he says, hey, lady, you want to buy a duck? Uh, it's just like bizarre <laughs> shit. Uh, I think that he... He's just, he's a terrifying villain. And I think that he is, he, I think he gets super lost in Stephen King's myriad of villains. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was always like a pleasant surprise uh, when you come across him, like this weird, invisible man kind of. Like, like, like that description too is really cool with all the bandages around his face and mm-hmm. he's kind of falling apart. But he's, he's like ethereal. He's like not there, but he is there. And the cops can't wrap their heads around it so much so that like they're just getting got. I, um, I think he's very fleshed out for being this this non-entity thing that just like like comes alive in this book. Um but yeah, I, I'm a big big Stark fan, big Stark head. Mm. Uh that's for Mel. And Dan, what uh, you, you like George? Oh yeah, I love George yeah, Stark. Yeah. I mean I think he and when once again, I think our misgivings. I love about, George Stark. I love says. George Stark. He's like, great. I wanna be friends. I love the way he, he wants to uh, rape and murder people. He's a great guy. No. Oh, he, uh, <laughs> do you think he has friends if he was like living in the real world? Do you think he'd be the kind of guy who would like actually try to make friends? I think that I he'd mean, hang out with people like like Jack Nicholson now. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think he'd go to like Laker games with Jack. Okay. Um well, no, it's interesting because they don't. This is more Alexis Machine, who is essentially supposed to be George Stark. Right. Alexis Machine yeah. has uh, was it Jack Halstead, who's like the his like lackey in the book, in the books, in the Machine's Way books. Yeah. Um, and I almost feel like I feel like he would have someone like that. You know, like his charisma would be able to get him. I, I want to clarify real quick. I didn't mean. I'm just saying it's funny because we always talk about these people with charisma and like how they're likable, but then you stop to think like, oh, these are people who are like rapists and murders like we talk about how charismatic freddie is and we're like oh wait that's a fucking child killer well, they say that's, 
you know, when you listen to those cr- uh, criminal profiler things, that, that that's what they say. They're charismatic to a point yeah. where it's like suspicious, but you just kind of get caught up in it. And those are the first yeah. ones. So. Well, it's it's the Ted Bundy thing, you know, yeah. like people are, are, I was talking to a coworker about this recently. They, they were just like, I really wrapped up and really wanted to, to watch this thing about yeah. Ted Bundy. And like, you know, they, they've got this picture of him and everybody was saying like how like Ted Bundy is like this looker and stuff yeah. and all this stuff for a long time. You know, there was a lot of that going on for a while. And, and you start well, to I really mean, think about it. And these people are awful. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, I mean you know? think about our set and I'm not, I'm not implicating anyone. I'm guilty of this too, but think of how, I mean, we, America is in like a true crime obsession right now, yeah. you know, and it's, um, yeah. and, and it's great. There's so much good art coming out of that, but also you're like, Oh wait, it's really, I mean, we think about what these people do. You're like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. But, um, but anyway, back to your question, I think our misgivings about the other characters being almost a little bit too normal. I think that all goes to serve George Stark because like you guys yes. were saying, when he bursts, I mean, he's such an over-the-top character, and if everyone was operating at that level of like colorfulness, I think it would be a you you wouldn't be able to get through the book. I think he stands out so much mm-hmm. in a really good way because of it, uh, and he's kind of. I think it's funny because it you know they talk about him being the dark the dark half of Tad or Thad and and his sort of the inner parts of his deepest darkest consciousness run wild. And I would say that's the same thing of King, because in a weird way, he feels like an amalgamation of some of King's other antagonists. Like, he's a little bit of a greaser, you know, like in the way he talks. He's got like that little yeah, bit of like yeah. gangster thing. Um, he's he's obviously like a, a serial killer. He's got like the size that some of uh, King's more monstrous villains have. So he feels like this just it feels like Stephen King's id just kind of running wild a little bit, which I think is why he's, he's such a, a fun but also supremely disturbing character um yeah so i'm a big uh big fan of george stark real quick i just want to share with you guys i looked up high tone of son of a bitch on i just googled it and the first thing that came up is d snyder the lead singer of uh, twisted sister right. in a horror movies such as strangeland he has a tweet from uh august 24th 2014 it's a it's a photo of a of a purple car with a bumper sticker that says high tone son of a bitch and he says who knows where the phrase on the bumper sticker on the back of my car comes from and all, all everyone replying is like, "Hi, doing SOB from Stephen King, the dark hat." Like everyone's getting really excited about. It. So we know that that sticker does exist. D. Snyder has one, and I'm sure we could get some too. There's also a uh, on an Auto Culture magazine. There's a little bit of a blurb about High Tone Son of a Bitch. So it seems like it's really seeped its way into car culture. So there oh, you go. Wow. Okay. And also, yeah. uh, I can totally picture D. Uh, Snyder as as <laughs> this character, which is yeah. pretty great. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey man, Strange, Strangeland. That's the isn't that a horror movie that uh, D. Snyder plays a serial killer in or something? It is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very good. Probably. Uh, but, I don't, uh, yeah, you know, I never saw it. Interested in seeing it now, though. Thinking of that along those lines, but uh, I, yeah. I, I hear I hear not good things. <laughs> um, I don't have a lot to talk about in this next section, but uh, I think we're going to go there and spend a little time. It's snowing out, uh, so we might as well go to misery. She. She died. She just slipped away. Slipped away? Slipped away? She didn't just slip away. You did it. 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 You murdered my misery. Having just talked about our intense love for the serial killer, uh, George Stark, (laughs) There are some things that are um, that are not so great in this book, as well as a lot of Stephen King's books, and we like to talk about those first before we get into the nitty and gritty of what we do love. Anybody want to start this off with something they didn't 
quite like about this book? I want to be clear. I actually think as far as the prose goes, I mean, I have a few pound cake things that are kind of embarrassing, but I don't have a ton of actual passages or, or dialogue that I don't like. It's really just more of a the structural thing I, I, I got at before. Just this idea of the, the first half of the book, we're seeing George going around killing all these people. We're sort of figuring out what, how he operates as a villain and what the logistics of that are. That's all great. There comes a certain point. It's it's right before he um he like blows up what the the I can't remember is it the cops or the remember the one guy's house he yeah. he like blows up those people yeah yeah I think by the time we get to that it's sort of that run of that run of of uh, people he's killing. It gets a little bit exhausting for me, just that just the sheer numbers of it and how easy it is for him to do that. And also that's coupled with I think that's sort of the height of Pangborn and and Thad trying to figure all this out. And once again, because the audience or the reader, because we're one step ahead of all that and we know that no, this is George Stark, he's actually here, he's become material, it just it just drags a bit for me because I'm like, let's just get let's just get to this confrontation. I want to see him get to Castle Rock and and I want to see him and Thad have their showdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and like I said, that's not, it's not like the individual writing is bad. It's just like I start to get a little bit fatigued after a while. It didn't ruin the book for me, but there just feels like a middle stretch where I'm kind of like, all right, let's get to it already. Let's get to it already. I don't know if you if y'all felt the same way. I did as well because like you were saying in the beginning, it, it was like bang, like not too fast. Like things were slowly building up on each other, but enough that you like kind of like next step, next step. Who's he going to murder next? um or who's gonna get to who next and then with the girl who um who leaks it to frederick clausen in the beginning you kind of just like offhandedly find out about her murder and it was almost like he threw in that last one to kind of shock us but the way he did it kind of fell short and i was just kind of like wait who is she because i for a second i forgot who she was when they mentioned her mm-hmm. um and in regards yeah to i lost track of people yeah sure, yeah i don't yeah i was just like who Ultimately, the murders that happen are, are with as grisly as they are. They're with a lot of people that we never meet or spend any time with. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to to keep in place and keep in tr- uh, track of in your own head who these people are, why he's going after them. Um, even though they they, exp- they do explain, it. I mean, it's all the people that had something to do with mm-hmm. his death uh, or his murder, technically. Um, but yeah, I. I guess that was also a little bit of my issue was we already knew. I think that part of me was like, you know, I wish that we never got any of the uh, brain surgery stuff until halfway through the book that we just if we just started with the first murder and then and Alan was the lead of the book. And in in the investigation, we slowly find out all these things um, like that it's connected to Thad. And then we think that, and then we really do think Thad's probably mm-hmm. the killer. Then we find out he's not. And then we slowly realize there's a supernatural edge to it. Like halfway through that something else is happening. These are why these people are being targeted. I think that that would have been cool too. Um, I'm not a writer. I'm not Stephen <laughs> King, but, um, and I, you know, of course this is many years later after the fact that we can, we can say these things, but oh, um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I think the, for me, that wasn't as much the problem as was mm-hmm. that towards the end of the yes. dragging out of, the final confrontation. I remember there was a whole section where like, I think we, we get the phone call that he's there with the kids and and Liz. And then I I believe then we get like a long chapter leading up to that. And I don't like when Stephen King does that. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff in Tommy knockers where it's like, okay, we know this character dies. We don't need to go for 50 pages 
about that character's backstory up until the point where they die, which you mm. just tell, told us happens. Not that Liz or the kids die, but you know, it was just kind of like, we know that he was driving there. We don't need yeah. to know how he got there at that point. You know, like, there are moments it, like where get to the climax already. There's kind of extra thing. detail that I don't feel is necessary. And I think that's something that I found a problem with in a lot of his writings that I've read so far. Again, I have not read everything. Too detailed. Right? <laughs> well, it's just like sometimes. No, I agree. Uh, where is it? When he goes to visit his office and there's just like the ex- extra details of like stories or, or like side thoughts that kind of seem almost like he got distracted um, and then I forgot at one point he's trying to describe a scene to a movie, but then he's like, oh, I don't really remember that movie. And I, I get that's what kind of like that's how our thought process yeah, goes. But yeah. it's just kind of like, I didn't need to read this. Yeah. It seemed like a waste. <laughs> just little things like that. Like, yes, there was like a whole chapter, I feel like maybe 26 or something where um, it felt like there was one bit of information that I could have gotten out of that. And it took like 30 pages to get there. Yeah, I think. Sometimes King will go on a tangent like we do on this uh, pod <laughs> and then eventually get what to the point. Um, how, how dare you? Uh, no, but I, I, I do agree. I think that sometimes he'll, he'll, he will, it'll become very stream of consciousness and, it, and it'll be good writing mm-hmm. and it, it'll be kept in there because of that and that alone. <laughs> but I do think that this could have been a, a little tighter. Um, However, I, I still really enjoyed the book. Yeah. There was a couple of lines that stood out to me that I really didn't like. I think Mary, Miriam Cowley says uh, on page 135, uh, she's when she's calling uh, Thad, I believe, at George's demand, she says, there's a bad man here. <laughs> and I just think, <laughs> I just hear these things out loud and I'm like, I just don't think you'd, anyone would say that. And then also... Uh, Liz says on page 297, which I had to laugh, uh, she's like, again, on the phone with with that, she says, he's got guns and he's got a blowtorch, a little blowtorch. <laughs> and I just can't picture anyone saying that out loud, like yelling that. And I mean, I, again, though, when you're under that kind of dress, who the maybe, hell knows? Right. Maybe maybe you, maybe <laughs> you, you do start everything. talking about the details of how the gun looks. You know what I mean? Or or the the, the little yeah. blowtorch. It's a little blowtorch. Yeah, that just yeah, exactly. Like the blowtorch, I get, but you're like uh, like like a blowtorch, a little blowtorch. It, yeah. You know, I like to think at the time people didn't know that little blowtorches existed mm. and that they needed to specify that okay. so that people would be like, "Well, how do you get a blowtorch in there?" Um, that's it for me, misery wise. I mean. A lot of these books, I think, could be a little tighter. But again, you know, I'm not writing these things. You know, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. He liked about. the sentences. Go with it. Yeah. I just the first time I read it, I kind of skimmed through to once I got to this part, and then I came back and like read it again, so I knew what was actually like what I missed. But yeah, it it was it's still good writing. Yeah, it's still. Dan, I think y'all covered it. Um, cool. Yeah, and like I said, I actually think. Uh, I mean, it's funny because I, I I know I keep going back to it. It is is one of my favorite Stephen King books, and I like that better as a novel than I do this. At the same time, they're prop maybe it's just because of how big that book is. There are way more embarrassing lines and sections mm-hmm. in it for me than there is for this. You know, like actually, this is like just in terms of the prose, I think this is actually one of his stronger books and is really streamlined in a way that that uh, appeals to me a lot. Cool. Well, that's what we didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it's it's very cold out here in Chicago, and and it's getting it's getting creepy. It's getting a little foggy in here. I think we've stumbled uh, into the moors, and I think that we have also stumbled into the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? 
Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. I've got a lot of cemetery, which is which is refreshing because I feel like for a little while there hasn't been too much um, of the scary, uh, of the gruesome. Uh, so for me, page eight, when they find the eye in Thad's brain pulsing with Ugh. the brain and seemingly winking at the doctors. Um, and I'll just wrap that up too with page nine where we find not only the eye, but some teeth and fingernails that apparently that absorbed a twin, which was apparently George Stark, this evil presence. Now, that is just disturbing to me. I think anything medically like that, mm. these medical oddities, um, that is something that really doesn't sit well with me. So reading that and opening with that was really unsettling for me. The teeth, and, and I have a story about teeth and my twin, actually. Mm. Um, let me go into that real quick. My twin, we had our uh, our wisdom teeth pulled out when I was in high school. We did it at the same time because we were on Christmas break. And um, my four of my teeth were fully formed and just like, you know, slightly, you know, not in line. So they took them out. It was a nightmare back then. Now it's a real easy peasy. I wish... Uh, which we had the that process now, but back then it was really tough, and I was eating you know pudding for a week. Um, however, my twin, they went in to take out one of his teeth, one of his back wisdom teeth, and they couldn't make sense of the X-ray. But when they went in, they realized it's because he didn't have one tooth; he had like, you know, like fifty little teeth mm. that had never really formed into one tooth. And that made me think, and they had to use like a little thing to suck all of them out, you know, like they bored into his gum and just kind of, you know, like all these little tiny teeth. And that creeped me out because that definitely made me think like maybe he had, he maybe we had, a, maybe he had an identical twin. Maybe we were triplets and he like assumed that, but that's not what happened. It was just the tooth never fully formed in his mouth. However, I like to, I like to imagine, I like to think yeah. these things. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that's where I, I start off with cemetery. Anybody else? Uh, a good one for me is like uh, the first dream sequence he has at the house. Oh, yeah, I had that too. Yeah. Uh, so when he goes through, I'm, I'm not going to read because it's a few pages. But for me and mine, it was uh, like page 31 to probably 36 cause, or 33 to 36. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the house is disintegrating. Everything he's touching is turning like falling apart or cracking. And I kind of like that imagery. It I had I almost read through it twice to kind of give myself let it soak through what he was actually saying, like as they're walking through the home. Yeah. And it was kind of creepy the fact that like no matter what he did, Stark was always behind him and right there, but like never with an eye shot. And that's something for me. I'm very paranoid from like living in different places, especially on my own as a woman walking around. Like I'm always checking behind my back. And the thought of like having someone who's right there but you can't see and you know is a danger to you, terrifying. Mm. Um and then he gets to the point where you see or he sees Liz's body in the, I don't know, the mud room or something like that. As he slid his arms under hers and locked his hands between her shoulder blades, her body shifted forward and her head lolled back. The skin on her face was cracking like the surface of a Ming vase. Her glazed eyes suddenly exploded. And for me, anything with eyes. Yeah. I, I have a friend and I won't mention him, but he told me once that he thought like licking someone's eye was like 
the sexiest thing. I Whoa. for Ew. me putting in yeah 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 hey, no, hay, hey Dan we don't judge here we don't okay judge, but, <laughs> I was like, but that's up. pretty disgusting <laughs> anything with touching my eye I have contacts and I'm like even then I'm kind of disgusted uh. touching my own eye but let me continue sorry guys. yeah yeah noxious green jelly sickening warm spurted up into his face no I'm sorry guys Just oh no. gross her mouth gaped ajar and her teeth flew out in a white storm he could feel their small smooth harnesses. Hardnesses peppering his cheeks and brow. Half-clotted blood jetted from between her pitted gums. Her tongue rolled out of her mouth and fell off, plummeting into the lap of her skirt like a bloody chunk of snake. Ah, uh, mm. I had the same thing written down. It's yeah. disgusting. All of, all of my bodily fears of like eyes and <laughs> teeth. And- <laughs> right out the gate, right? Page 36. Damn. Yeah. I think that's what my parents are getting at. Where it was, It's like violent in like a different kind of way than, mm. than other King books. Like there's gross stuff in the past, but that's just so... Yeah, like this visceral. The thing with like yeah. the guy's... Where the guy's penis being shoved in his mouth. Yeah. Oh, it's God. Just like, I've got uh, that too. I want to make clear. I'm I like... I'm, I'm thinking about this eyeball thing real quick. And like... I, all right. So I get really bad allergies. I'm, maybe this is TMI. And yeah, you know, my eyes will itch really bad sometimes. And if that happens... You have Hank lick your eye? <laughs> no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's how you clean it out. But Susan, my wife, I'm I'm proud. This is definitely TMI. But I'll just be oh, oh God, can you here just we like, go. Can you just like kiss my eye, not the eyeball. Just like I'll close my eyes, like kiss me on the eye, the uh-huh. eyes. Like all right, so maybe that's a little gross. But I guess when when your Aisha, your friend, saying like there's nothing sexier than licking someone's eye, I'm picturing like an eyeball getting licked, and that's really gross to me. Yeah. No offense. I mean. More power to them. No, Nothing he's wrong actually with... licking the eyeball. No, so. <laughs> licking. Oh, l- yeah, yeah, that licking's a bit much. Like I think, I think it can be like very sweet, or you yeah, know, even even sexy if you're like kissing someone's eyelid because that's a very very sensitive spot that no one I touches. Think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you. Um, so I'm glad we covered that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dan, right do you have another uh, scary moment, Dan? I did. Yeah. So I actually. So mine. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm pulling up marked here. Uh, here. Look, okay. So this is after uh, after Homer gets killed, mm-hmm. and I think King does a really good job of like setting up. Like, he they keep hinting that he's been killed in some gruesome way, but don't really give you quite the details yet until this final paragraph in this chapter, which I love. But did the reason matter? It sure didn't to Homer Gamash Gamache. I'm not sure I'm gonna say Gamache. Not anymore. Nothing was ever going to matter to Homer again, because after clipping that for him that first one, the hitchhiker had pulled him out of the cab and dragged him into the ditch, probably hauling him by the armpits. Alan didn't need the boys from Capital Crimes to read the marks left by the heels of Gamache's shoes. Along the way, the hitcher had discovered Homer's disability, and at the bottom of the trench, he had wrenched the old man's prosthetic arm from his body and bludgeoned him to death with it. Now, that's one of the less, like, violent right. descriptions, but, but it's oh, it's so sad. It's, like, so, it's so, like, yeah, it's so sad. It's, like, a horrible thing to, to do to yeah. him. But also, I like how King kind of, stalls on letting you know what happens and then when he does it's just with like one sentence and you're like oof that is brutal so that that to me really chilled chilled my bones yeah. quite a bit using part of your own body against yeah. you it, that is that's that's like that's really scary like that thought um yeah it, yeah it, that 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 is it's a less gruesome tale there but well not the bludging to death but right. in terms of the description but yes dan i agree with you yeah so um, that's one. But there's a lot in this book. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. It's like, for instance, uh, page 34, uh, this, the description from the machine book where he uses the straight razor mm. and it says he, leaving leaving his cheeks hanging in red and white flaps with one eye dangling from yeah. its socket. Yes. Uh, I thought it was a really good uh, description. 
I think, um, what is it? Uh, not when Claus, well, Clausen's was also equally gruesome, but, uh, was it Donaldson or Michael, the, 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 uh, reporter who actually did the story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His, his, uh, scene too. Cause I was like cheering for him and like there were moments where I thought he might get away and I don't remember what page that was. That was one of the ones that I didn't write down. Um, but just that whole scene down the hallway from beginning to end. So as soon as he goes to open his door to where Stark first attacks him and like Stark is like very confident that this is going to go quick and easy. And it turns into this just like instead of a quick, clean, efficient, I guess, in Stark's sense of the word, it turns into this just bloody trail of tears, in my opinion. Of Yeah. Piggybacking off of that, mm-hmm. I think I think it's Donaldson um, where he, he tries to cut his face he tries to slit his throat and he puts his hand up mm, and he cuts his fingers it says uh tendons cut the fingers slump slumped forward like yeah. sleepy puppies uh it says um and that and that's when he also um he he misses the one finger because he's wearing that ring yeah and but you hear like the the brink you know uh, of, of the ring because he's hitting it so hard yeah that that is that's any hand stuff too mm. like king really knows where to hit the mark with with, with this book all the yeah all the bodily descriptions are really really disturbing in Miriam's this Miriam's face being cut into like a smile like yeah so oh deep. man yeah. yeah page 130 i had miriam miriam Cowley's door to the face mm. where two of her teeth had broke off at the gum line and cut her mouth her cheekbones snapped like a twig mm. i mean bone yeah. stuff really bothers me mm-hmm. so this is just like this was just like i, w- I was in a, i was in heaven in this book yeah because no, it was just like that. everything but in terms of like cemetery i was just having a great time because i was like oh man this is really creeping me out this is really gross this is really scary um so it was really hitting the mark for me dan do you have another one? Oh man oh gosh i mean pretty much every death uh, the, the one i remember is uh I think it's Donaldson. Sorry, I, we we mentioned this before. The victims do get a little lost for me after, uh, like after the first three. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. I'm like, wait, who are these people? What were the, is their involvement? But he talks a lot about. Um, cha- it's like the final guy before the explosion. Uh, Stark is like is chasing him, mm-hmm. and the guy's actually really good at at dodging, dodging the razor the razor ones. You think the guy's gonna get away, but then he just like trips, and then Stark just goes to town mm-hmm. on him. And he talks about. Uh, nicking the back of his head and how it's not like a fatal wound but like it's just gushing a bunch of blood and so i think there's something really agonizing about this guy reading about this guy almost getting away and then doesn't and then also too i think george just hides behind a plant when the cops get there like like he's they're so close to getting them and they talk about his eyes being like a a blue-eyed tigers peeking out through the plants like there's just something always both satisfying but horrible about reading about someone who almost gets away but then doesn't so uh Mm. yeah i just think that uh Dada, do you, do you both picture King when he's writing these scenes and just doubling down on the 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 bodily violence, just just being like cackling to himself, like <laughs> like I'm really this getting is him so good. Just, yeah, I don't. Know, I like to think that he's just glazed over, riding with a black barrel, you know, <laughs> just like not <laughs> himself. Bachman's <laughs> taken over. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, uh, page seventy one. Mm-hmm. She saw the bloody hole at his groin. His penis yeah. had been stuffed in his mouth. His tongue cut out and pinned to the wall. Uh, she thinks it's like something a Lexus machine would do. Well, guess what? You're right, because it's George Stark that's doing these things. Uh, uh, one of the things was, and I don't know if we wanted to talk about this now, was when he Thad is like getting into George's mind while he's sleeping, which I was yeah, like, what yeah. is happening? And then when you finally realize. But anyway, when he stabs himself in his own hand with the pencil, like... You know, when you watch those movies or read those books where people have to, like, cut off their own arms to escape something or any kind of self 
induced harm. Yeah. And to the idea of like someone else controlling my body to force me to like self injure myself just was kind of like, and it's such a small wound. It's something really small, but it's just like the idea of like shoving a dull pencil into your hand. It's pretty rough uh. for me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The fact that it's almost worse than if it's like a knife or mm. something really sharp. Yeah. What, what do you, What do you all think about the um, the sparrows themselves? I mean, I know they're sort of in a weird way a force of good. I mean, they're from evil, but they they sort of whisk away. Spoiler alert: uh, George to hell. Did Did they just? I don't know. Some people are really afraid of birds. Did they bother you at all? Like, like was that spooky to you, or is that more of a, a relief kind of moment? I kind of kept the birds at distance, and like I had to recognize them because I saw them as an important part of the story but i i'm not deathly afraid of birds but i was one of those kids who watched uh alfred hitchcock's the birds as like a little kid and it terrified me yeah uh if you ever see me crossing the street with a bunch of birds you'll see me scream or something if they try to come at me (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well you don't want to go to austin i was in australia i kicked a pigeon because it came too close oh wow (laughs) sorry we barely know you, I guess. I'm an, um, don't think I'm an animal abuser. I'm yeah, sorry. Mel's, Mel's going to come after you after this one. There, uh, a rare bird actually attacked and killed a Florida man today. It was it was oh. a big, uh, I don't know, it was some what huge ass tropical bird. Yeah, he the bred deal them and with Florida, Florida. man. I know. Stephen King's a Florida man half of the year. He lives in Sarasota. Oh, but anyway, sure. yeah. Oh, I was yeah, born in Sarasota. So you are. Yeah, there you go, man. Yeah, this story is actually the, about me. Um, the, Florida man, did the birds bother you or did they, they get to you at all or are they more like a force of good? Uh, I would, not a force of good, but I have no problem with birds, really. They don't usually bother me except when I'm in Austin, Texas. Um, <laughs> or yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I think birds are great. All right. I mean, there was that part at the end, though, where like he's or they take off their socks to like start to sorry to spoil again the tornado tornado. How do you say the name for the car? Oh, yeah. Tornado. Yeah. Tornado. And so he Alan talks or it's the point where Alan's walking around the car and he steps on the bird's bodies. And at first he's like, there's no way in hell I'm taking my shoes off and walking around barefoot on this. But you can hear it. He's like it crunched under his feet. like Crunching bones. A little bones crunching. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah very, very, uh, my dog killed a bird in the backyard last year, and I had to pick it up and throw it away. And they're they're so light in a way that almost freaks you out, you know? Like yeah. they feel like they're nothing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they oh. feel like they're nothing. Yeah, it's weird. We should give a shout out. Uh, I don't know if she's listening to this episode, but uh, Mac and I have a friend Casey Bentley, and she uh, she hates birds. Oh, yeah. And she, it's so funny because she she's mostly a vegetarian. Like she does, she won't eat she won't eat meat for the most part, but she'll eat birds. <laughs> And I'm like, why? I'm like, why birds? She's like, oh, I was like, I hate birds. Like, she, like, she's almost like eating them to get it's revenge on them. But then I freaked her out one time because I, I, she was eating chicken or something. I'm like, well, Casey, you hate birds and they're scary, but you're like putting a bird inside your body. And she was like, don't even say that. Like, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Shout out to Casey Bentley if she's. Yeah. If she's um, yeah, the sparrow is actually did creep me out towards the end for sure. And the, the, just the sheer volume of them mm-hmm. um, was really, really bizarre. Um, I've I've got a bunch of other ones, but I'm I'm just gonna run down the yeah. list here um, as to not take up too much time. But uh, page seventy, uh, I like the idea that something's just not quite right uh, when they enter the apartment. I think this is when Miriam. This is uh, the Miriam section where like the one cushion is like the giveaway that something's not right, but she still investigates. And I think there's a thing about that that I really mm-hmm. like where. People are always yelling in the horror movie, don't go outside to investigate the scary noise. But you know what? When you're by yourself and something's going on, you do these things. 
and you find yourself doing them and you know you're not supposed to, but there's some kind of inherent quality that lives and resides in everybody that it's it's curiosity that killed the cat, you know? I've, I've murdered and that I cat. Really, <laughs> and I really, yeah, and I, re- <laughs> uh, I used to the exception of the rule. But I, no, I think that I really like that because it, it just captures the the creepy that we continue mm. to look, feeling for something out there that's that we know it's wrong, but we, we do it anyways. You don't even know it until it's too late. Right. And that's creepy to me. And I think that's why, like, when I watch those movies or things like that, I'm like, don't do that because I've seen so many now. Like, I've come home and found something. Like, when I used to live in Korea and my, my apartment was robbed. Like we came in and found stuff, and I was like, "Nope, we're gonna wait nope. outside." <laughs> like I don't, because you you've know. seen too much now yeah. at this point. But also, like, does as this character a huge horror 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 aficionado? Yeah, you know true. what I mean? Like maybe they're just this is the first time they're experiencing something like this. Um, that's why you should watch horror movies. <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, Aisha, was was there someone still in the apartment? No. Like, did you guys wait? Okay. They oh, were creepy. they were gone uh, by that point. Yeah. Um, I got page four uh, two forty six. Stark takes over and and writes in pencil and cursive. I I like the idea of of that possession, like you were saying earlier. Uh, that's when you're not in control of your own faculties. That's really frightening to me. Um, two sixty eight. George just falling apart. His mm. his face just like pussing and his fingernails just oozing and the the whole invisible man thing. He's like he's kind Lying of like this this, this this this. Like part is half of himself at that point. The pus is like yellow and green. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, ah. so gross. I think when Thad realizes that George has his two infants and his wife, that's just terrifying thought to me. Like um, thinking of like someone has your loved ones, you're very far away. You can't do anything. You're so helpless in that in that instance. That's like a scary, just a very scary thing. Mm. Or even when Liz. When 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 the the little kids because they just don't get it are like waving at George and George is like see they like me, and like it's just creepy like mm. that really freaked me out, you know George's face it's just him falling apart it, the boiling yeah. of his face and things when the cops see him, Ugh. the 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 description of Chatterton's eyeball it splits with an audible pop uh, yeah, when he takes the razor to it. Thinking of again. <laughs> uh, eyeballs. Oh man. Eyeballs. And then um, to wrap it all off, uh, I've got the. 309 page 309 in the viking edition the splitting of the ball sack section <laughs> just i totally like had to forget where that. is it he, he splits it open and then like the balls just hang there and he's a little meaty like i, I uh, uh just like uh i know women might not ever know that that pain but it is i i can't even begin like it, you don't need to know the no, description the description it. is enough i feel like just <laughs> the idea just of anyone bit. slicing my own private parts is oh. just like no. hey. Mm, mm. not good yeah mm. uh i think it's safe to say that this cemetery is full of scary things <laughs> loaded up with bodies yeah <laughs> it is it is now uh i think we're gonna move on to our next section called word processor of the god and we're gonna make a new rule whenever i'm in here you hear me typing whether you don't hear me typing, what the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? We've already read a lot of excerpts that we think are, are pretty scary and pretty good from this book. I don't think we have... Do, does anybody have anything extra to add writing-wise to this? I've got one. Okay, Dan. Um, it's really short. Sure. Um, so I actually really love... I, I'm, I'm a big fan in general when Stephen King shares text from 
books within the books. Like he does that misery a little bit also. And uh, for this, whenever he he shared something from an Alexis machine book, uh, oh, let me find it. Where is it? Here it is. I got a kick out of it because I, I don't know. It's just, once again, it's him being so indulgent. So this is uh, going into part two of the book, Stark Takes Charge. And uh, I'll just, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just um, read the, the last couple ones. Yeah, go um, for so it. So this is, this is Stark talking to, to Jack Halstead. Uh, all right. Or not Stark, Machine, but yeah, Stark. Okay. <laughs> Any fool with fast hands can take a tiger by the balls, Machine told Jack Halstead. Did you know that? Jack began to laugh. The look Machine turned on him made him think better of it. Wipe that asshole grin off your face and pay attention to me, Machine said. I am giving you instruction here. Are you paying attention? Yes, Mr. Machine. Then hear this and never forget it. Any fool with fast hands can take a tiger by the balls, but it takes a hero to keep on squeezing. I'll tell you something else while I'm at it. Only heroes and quitters walk away, Jack. No one else, and I am no quitter. I mean, it's so, it's so, like, it's so silly and extra, but I love it, and it totally gives you insight into the kind of books that uh, – um fad rights under the george stark alias like it, it just it just to me like kind of cap sums up george stark alexis machine and just what those books are like so and i got to kick it anytime he had some of those yeah no no I, I i love it um yeah i don't have anything particular to add right out the gate if it, i have some other sections we'll probably read it later on maybe but um i think i have like a more of a speculation word processor because okay. i don't know if this is what his intention was and it's not a specific point but or I guess it is. So he starts halfway, more than halfway in the book, starting to that starts referring to uh, George as Foxy George, and I wonder if that starts to coincide with like the same time that George starts to basically fall apart and disintegrate. And I wonder hmm. if like he intentionally starts to use it because like Thad in the beginning he doesn't really use Foxy at all to describe George, and then suddenly he just starts doing it. And I was like, this is so weird. Why does he keep doing it? And I'm like. Is it he subconsciously is aware but didn't realize until that he he's has, kind of that he is falling, falling apart, apart of the seams, yeah, and that's yeah. why he keeps referring to him as Foxy Old George. And I and I just thought about that actually to like this morning as I was on my way here, and I don't know if that's a thing. Let's say it is because I like that. But I was <laughs> yeah, like, that's that is, interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, that is. I think that it's it's written very well. Um, I mean, I think the fact that we had so much cemetery is is a good sign that um this is a this is a, one of the good ones mm. moving on from that i'm hungry i think you guys are hungry I, I think we have a little bit of pound cake to consume after all you've been taught everyone in bad mama everything in the sin come to your closet and pray ask to be forgiven he's a nice boy mom you like him you really like him mama so not a lot in this one but uh which is surprising because you think the, there would be in this one. You know, and if there is, I think it, it works and I didn't put it down as something that didn't quite like we weirdly work. But for me, I got page 69. Old Farmer John had enjoyed it. In fact, he put the barrel of the gun against the horse's head and then jerked himself off, squeezing the trigger at the moment of climax. I died laughing when I read that. I, I, I just, I just the, the image of that, just this old farmer just like jerking it on this horse, mm. just like cracks me up. One of the things that, as I, as soon as I saw it, was uh, when Alan Pangborn, he's at home and he's been in his study, like doing his uh, animal or shadow animals again, shadow puppets. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then his wife comes down, and he kind of makes this like 
and basically, are you going to be awake so I can go have sex with you later? And so he comes upstairs and he she's like laying there naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way, ugh, I wish I could remember what page that was, the way that Alan's like expecting it to happen and... And it's just like, yeah, I knew you'd be here naked waiting for me. Let's do this. And it just kind of like jumps in and then that's it. And I was like, that's like the most sex I think we have been through the whole book. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. It's so weird. I'm like kind of surprised that just given how George Stark is, I mean, he talks a little bit about it, but I'm surprised that King just didn't insert some random ass mm. sex scene for him. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just, it's funny that there's not very, so much. Um, was like, very restrained yeah. King here. Um, yeah. I, I liken it to he's he's cleaned up. He's writing this with a clear thought. You know, maybe that's why. Maybe he's just not yeah, going down those sexier outs. Also, um, <laughs> I mean, George Stark is all business because he did say at one point, I think, with Miriam, he's like, I don't have really the time for it, but he would like to, you know, stick it to her. Uh, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, that line's a little weird. Ooh, yeah, he, he um, well, and I guess look, if if George Stark has, uh, you know assaulty rapist impulses probably better we don't get some sex scenes mm. with him you know um but uh oh, yeah, no yeah joke. The, the one i had what th- this isn't even this isn't even like sex really but it just goes back to uh, it seems like an extra unneeded detail it's when a uh, dodie eberhardt gets killed uh or wait no she get killed no she doesn't get killed she just finds uh what's his face the yeah. guy with the dick in his mouth um it's just a funny it, i don't know i think this is king's idea of just trying to flesh out her character a little bit but just comes across like so silly uh okay i'll just read um a couple graphs okay um a good many years ago this woman had been one of washington's most stunning call girls in those days her in those days her height six foot three as well as her good looks and made her more than just a naughty bit of fluff she was so sought after that a night with her was almost as good as a trophy in a sporting gentleman's den and if one were to carefully review the photographs of various washington fetes and soirees taken during the second Johnson administration and the first Nixon administration, one might spot Dodie Eberhardt in many of them, usually on the arm of a man whose name appeared frequently in a weighty polit- uh, political articles and essay. So now that, that, that's fine, whatever. Like it's fine. She's a sex worker. But then, then he goes, Dodie was a whore with a heart of a bank teller and the soul of an inquisitive cockroach. Like, just, like, then he just thinks her horrible. Like, but she's just, just this like predatory kind of hooker. Anyway. So there's all that. And that, and he isn't like, he doesn't go too far, but then he does get he he goes on to describe how she's gained all this weight mm. and now her height it just makes her this kind of monster. And it goes back to that thing King always does, always when he talks about like bigger women. Yeah. He always portrays them as like like these <laughs> ogres. I mean he does it with Annie Wilkes, he does it with, with Margaret White, both of whom I think are actually really great characters, but he just always goes out of his way to describe that. And then he uh where is it? He he describes her running as being like a rhinoceros mm. or something like later on. And it, it's funny, Mac, it's actually right before we get to the, uh, the farmer jerk himself off. It's yeah, like, her, yeah. That line. But yeah, so, so it's not, um, I, you know, I don't think as a character, she's super egregious. It's just like these, these little details King adds in that you're just sort of like, man, we're, if someone was to psychoanalyze you, they've got to be coming from somewhere weird, you know? <laughs> um, so anyway, that, that, that was the only thing I really wrote down. And once again, that's not really a, a sex scene or proper pound cake. It just goes back to this, the grotesqueness that King sometimes uses to talk about bigger women. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it's, oh, it, it pops up like very consistently. And so I just wonder where that comes from. I do too, Dan. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's only one other thing. I just, when Stark mentions that the guy has like a stupid pussy tickler mustache. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I just, I always think of that. Like, what does that quite look like? What is, 
Is it just I like the, the remnants stash. of Yeah, but yeah. I, but, but then I thinner. think of like uh, yeah, I think of like um like a wispy kind of like nineteen mm-hmm. twenties. Like they were trying to grow know. it in to <laughs> yeah, it yeah. work out. I do um, have one more that okay, I just remembered. Okay, yeah. And this is Raleigh, who I had grown to love, even though he was there for like 30 seconds. <laughs> um, and it's on page 280. The only reason I remember this one is because I reread this last night. <laughs> Gonzo Tom, Raleigh continued finally. It's hard to believe Gonzo Tom Carroll has sailed into the gray havens of retirement. I've been listening to him cut those trumpet blast farts of his in the next office for better than 20 years. <laughs> I suppose the next fellow will be quieter or at least more discreet. And I was like, finally, the fart joke. <laughs> I was waiting for you. <laughs> uh, it's right. I forgot about that. I, I, I had that, and I didn't write it down. That's really strange. Um, I love the trumpet blast fart. Yeah, I, I always I always like King's fart fart writing. I don't know why. It always like, makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of levity the whole situation. <laughs> I think that's it for uh, Pound Cake. We're nice nice and, and full, or half full, I guess. Uh, and uh, we're going to move on to one of my favorite sections called King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Now, for those of you joining us for the first time uh, um, on this dark half uh, <laughs> expedition, uh, King's Dominion is actually a section where we point out the connections to other King books or other uh, properties in general. Uh, does anybody have want to kick this off? I'll start. I have mine are mostly because it's questions because I don't know all the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's things that I noticed that he'll make mention of. Like for one thing was uh, he mentioned Saul Bellows, and at one point, and he appeared in like another part of the story, and I was like curious if that was a name that appears. Which your face is telling me no, so I'm just well, that. you know, this again. This I've only seen all the adaptations. I haven't read a lot of the books. So Dan, does that ring a bell to you? Isn't Saul? Hold on one second. Give me a, give me a second. Isn't Saul Bell? Well, does so, he say Saul? Because Saul Bellow is a novelist, right? But is this Saul Bellows? It might have. Been, I think I wrote Bellows. Yeah, I wrote Bellows. But I also Perhaps. I was writing this. At I'm looking up. Let's see. I don't know because I don't know. I know Saul Bellow just as a writer, but I don't know his work that well. Um, but his his he was born Solomon Bellows. So maybe that's interesting. And he is a, uh, d- d- he was Canadian, so not, not too far from Maine. Yeah, I don't know if he comes up at all. Again, or, or maybe, maybe it, I don't know if it's the, um, the real Saul Bellow or just like a name he's bringing up. Wait, who, does he bring it up like a fellow writer or, or something else? Uh, no, he just kind of mentions, I, I should have wrote down the page. He just mentions him offhand twice. And so I was wondering, because he mentions oh, a lot good. of times when he makes so many references to people. And I never, sometimes it's obvious that's like a pop culture reference. Right, and right. other yeah. times I'm like, is this a reference? Because you guys know way more than I do. So, you know, I realize sometimes there are references to other books. Our yeah, that's good. Right, right. That's good. A good point. It's funny because I, I, it's funny because hearing the name Saul Bellow and Stephen King, I, feel, I wonder. Here, I'm just gonna look up Stephen King, Saul Bellow. I wonder if they had any kind yeah. of like relationship um, or something like that. While, um, while you're looking that yeah. up, I had on page four. Uh, it says Thad's mother takes him to go see Doctor Seward, which I thought was a, a fun little nod to um, Dracula. Uh, yeah, yeah, John or Jack Seward from Bram Stoker's Dracula. So that was kind of cool. Um, Page 83, uh, these are all kind of uh, nods to literary things. Uh, we're referring to Tom Carroll. Uh, uh, Tom has been the university English department for 
19 years. Mm-hmm. So we get that 19 in there. Just the mention of the Ludlow Woods. They, they live in Ludlow, which is also where, where Pet Cemetery takes place. That's mentioned on page 18. I have kind of a weird one, and I, I don't know. I'm, and I'm, it sucks. I wrote it down somewhere, and I can't find the page number now. But there's a part where uh, it's early on in the book. Thad and Liz are talking. And they're talking about um, like a uh, uh, – I guess like a, a, a college professor and his wife or something like that. I can't remember the context. Right. And I, the way they describe the wife and that like people, they describe her as being really annoying and the people get stuck talking to her at parties and she always yeah. gets drunk and demeans her husband. And her name, it, it almost sounded like Adrian Barbeau's character from Creepshow a little bit. So it's funny you um, mentioned that, Dan, yeah. because when Justin was reading this along with me, he wrote to me and he was like, oh my God, the two characters from Creepshow are in this. Yeah, no, it but describes almost exactly like them. Yeah, It is, but then he did a little more research and it's not the same people. Okay, but, yeah. but the characters are very similar where you have this this English professor and then you have like his like overbearing wife and all this stuff. So it could easily just be them. This could just be another uh, uh, path of the beam, as it were. And these yeah. are these characters in this universe kind of thing. Well, and I'm sure but it's, you know, I like that, the 80s, yeah. like dynamic wise it may have just been a dynamic he was dropping into two different things one and adrian barbeau's character in creep shows wilma billy northup and i once again i wish I'd, i could find the page number but i remember the name that he gives this woman in the book is sort of similar to that like it's not billy but it's it's like it's like an, a, a nickname for a, a longer woman's name yeah it sounds yeah. very similar so yeah it was just this little weird like uh yeah, it, it was just this this little, little weird thing. Like, oh, is that a connection? Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, we, we all thought it because it, it is very spot on to that story, and we, which we love that story. I love yeah. that story in, in Creepshow. Um, and then there's the obvious stuff of like Pangborn, which we've gone over a little bit. Exactly. But, yeah, else, I was just going to say the mention of Castle Lake, Alan Pangborn, of course, being in Castle Rock. They mention Nan's Luncheonette. They mention mm-hmm. the Mellow Tiger at one point. Um so that's always really fun. I love, I just love that these all kind of, and the fact that this is also kind of like a Bachman book, but now it's, but it's, it is Stephen King, but the fact that it's kind of like now Bachman's like bleeding into this world legitly, like we have these connections is kind of fun. Um, but that's all I had for King's Dominion. I'm, it, I'm sure we probably missed something in there and we love when our fans tell us that we're wrong and we missed something. <laughs> so uh, no, we love interacting with you. So if you guys know something that we didn't cover uh, here, definitely hit up our socials and let us know um, <laughs> because we would love to know. Um, before we go to our overall thoughts on this piece of work, I just want to talk in, a little bit in general about the story, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah. Um there's just yeah, some good. things that we didn't quite talk about in, in, in depth. Just the whole idea of having this like evil twin um, and some of the some of the things that that come up. The ideas of the sparrows being these these psychopomps, these these you know, carriers of souls from one world to the next. And I wanted to talk about the ending and what you guys thought about do you think it's this kind of ominous kind of creepy ending where I like, so for me, I like when the sparrow lands on Thad and like kind of pecks at his cheek. And it's kind of like this, this little reminder that, Hey, like no one's in control of, of like fate. Like, like you, you're, you could have easily just as been the one that's going to be taken away by Mm -hmm. the, the sparrows at the end of the day and probably will be at some point. Um, 
Do you, but do you guys think, I think some people think that this is, has like a kind of ominous, like dark ending where we don't really know what's going to happen with that and Liz, like, is Liz going to stay with him? Cause like, he's capable of this darkness, but you know, like, did you guys get that from it? I, cause I felt like it was kind of like a happy ending except for the, the ominous, like, you know, everybody dies kind of thing. Oh, I thought it was an, a pretty dark ending. Cause yeah, like in the sense George is gone from that mortal plane, but uh, the conversation that Alan and uh, Thad have at the end where he's like, basically, you don't I know you don't like me anymore. Like you kind of did in the beginning or not in the beginning, but towards the middle. And now I can tell that you just absolutely don't like me. And I think Alan mentions that he's worried or he thinks like, what about Liz? What about your relationship to Liz? And I cheated a little bit and looked up like Alan Pangborg born mm. connections. And I won't say it here because I don't know if I. I'm going to spoil anything because it's for needful things. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. Th- no spoilers for needful things yet. I'm not going to spoil. I, for once, I know something. <laughs> but it was just kind of like it solidified the thought that like after what Liz and um, that go through, like that's a they've already gone through something pretty terrible anyway with the first miscarriage. And then now this whole situation. And now it's like, who did I marry or who is this person that I married? Yeah, I was like, mm. hmm. Yeah, Happy that ending. definitely does. Uh, <laughs> definitely comes up in a later book. That's all we'll say. <laughs> I'm really like that lost some friends there. I feel like. <laughs> um, Dan, did, what did you think about the ending? Do you think it ends on a happy note, or do you think that it ends on a kind of like, "Ooh, this is still a little creepy," like, and just in just in terms of the the finale and what it's trying to say about death and what what we're capable of. I, I, well, I guess the idea that we might have this, everybody has this dark half and, and are we all safe or are we all, you know, exposed to that, that darkness, that evil and, and are the sparrows coming for us? Because you know what? The sparrows are flying again. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it's a really I think, long question. I, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said everyone has a dark half. I don't necessarily view it as, as sad or pessimistic in terms of, Oh, uh, Tad is going to be, or Thad is going to become George or that like, the sparrows are coming back for good to, to take him away or anything like that. I look at that at more just like we all have darkness in ourselves. And even though he's eliminated this primary antagonist, there's always going to, I mean, it still came from him, right? Like it's still, it's the thing when you write anything, even if you write a really fucked up character, like that still came from you somewhat, you know what I mean? And I, so I just took it more to be that there, there is darkness in all of us and that the road ahead won't be easy because the road ahead for anyone's life isn't easy. Like if you're married, you're always going to struggle with, certain issues with you and your partner, um, you know, just like you and your friends and your family. So I, I just looked at like a little bit more realistic in that just because you get rid of the bad guy doesn't mean you get rid of the, the darkness that's self-imposed, if that makes sense. So, which I actually like quite a bit is an ending. I like that it didn't go full dark and grisly, but also wasn't completely happy either. I thought it actually worked quite well for this book. Yeah, I, I, I did too. Um, I think that it ends pretty perfectly for me. I, I I think it's very scary. And, and it, the fact that when the sparrows take George away and start eating him alive and, and I almost, I was unnerved by that. I wasn't like, yeah, get, get that George Stark. I was like, Ooh, this, like, is this what happens to everyone? <laughs> you know, like, I thought maybe he, they would come for him like that next. Like first they were going to take George. It's like, surprise, you're coming too. Oh yeah, that. or that they couldn't. Or, well, <laughs> I thought it would have been an interesting take at the end yeah. if if they had also almost taken that as well. Like they like and right. and the idea that maybe like how thin is that line between him and George? And 
it's 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 closer than you think and in, in terms of the dark half and everybody um yeah I, I i really like that idea i love the sparrows i love the the carpeting of the sparrows like you were saying when they're crawling over all mm. of them there's the shit the amount when he's in the car it's just like everything's just covered in the throat in front of him and um I, I i just love that idea i think that that's very frightening it is very birds it is very alfred hitchcock but um so i guess we could just move on to our final thoughts. There's a lot to say about this book. Um, we're going to obviously talk a lot more about this as well when we cover the film. So anything we think we've missed here, we'll definitely bring up then. Uh, so let's move on to our overall thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. You said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. I'll start. <laughs> I'm going to give this uh, four bright red Pennywise clown noses. And it's because uh, it's just, it was just a solid entry for me. Um, not a lot of misery. Uh, I love the idea of Stephen King tackling um, something that's happening in, in his life so directly, uh, where. I think this is the first time it's it's so blatantly directly involved in in something that he's experiencing that we can we just have a little bit more insight into his outlook on uh having a pseudonym and having that other writer um it's one of the more scary villains of the king universe in my opinion I think he's just really like what do you do how do you stop this person that you know, was born out of your own brain, almost your own entity. Uh, like, can you, and obviously they can't, the sparrows have to be the ones that take them away. Um, and that's also something we didn't mention, but I love the fact that, that that is aware of the sparrows, but George is not like, I love the, the one, the scene where he's writing and then he doesn't even realize he's writing sparrow every other line. But, um, but that obviously does because he's falling apart and he's becoming less and less of a uh, of a human of a, of a well of, of a monster I guess. Um, but yeah, I really dug the book. Uh, I love that we get Alan Pangborn in this. I think it's a strong entry for him, and that's why we see him going forward. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a solid entry for Stephen King and a great kind of nod to to the Bachman books. Who's next? <laughs> uh, I'll go. Uh, so I would say if you had talked to me two weeks ago, I would have said three and a half red Pennywise noses. But I think after like kind of fully fleshing it out again and talking about it today, I've been convinced towards a four just because, right. again, I did really enjoy George Dark as a character, as well as like one of my favorite parts, again, going back to that pencil pin stabbing scene, because when you hear uh, George's side of the whole story, that juxtaposition of like how differently they took care, like came out of that moment and what they did to like treat themselves and their wounds. And it was kind of weird because I saw a part, part of myself in both sides of that, like depending on like kind of what mood or state I would be in, I would probably take Pat, Thad's way of going about it and being careful about how many uh, perk, um what did he take? Percocet or Percordin or what did he, whatever yeah, yeah. drug he was taking to dull the pain. And he was so conscious about like, waiting until the next moment where he could take the next one. Whereas George was like, fuck it. I'm going to take half of these pills, drink this whiskey, pour it over my hand. Let's go. And I, for me, that one scene kind of like cinched everything together. It was building up really well. And I got to that scene and I loved like even the little, um, the nuances where as 
uh, Thad got stabbed in his left hand with the pencil that George said he couldn't even touch at that point. Right. Um, whereas George stabs himself in the right hand with this like crappy big pin and it almost symbolizes how he's just kind of like this false kind of not real version of Thad in a yeah. way. And he gets tossed, he tosses in the trash and it's almost like you just tossed yourself into the trash. Could you? I was having all these like yeah, moments yeah, no. at that one scene. So <laughs> for me, it was a very strong book overall. Again, um, I just started watching Castle Rock finally. And oh, so nice. I now know the Alan Pangborn character before I started reading the book. Right. And I didn't see the actor who played him in as I was reading it, but it definitely made a strong connection for him as a character, mm-hmm. though he kind of got on my nerves with that back and forth for a little while. But that's more King's writing than Alan himself. <laughs> Um, and that goes back to what Dan was saying. We're just like, we know what's going on already, so get on with it. But that's just our own impatience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, I really dug this book. I'd read it again. And I feel like I'd still be surprised and find something that I didn't really find the first time or second time. Yeah, you know, for uh, before we get to Dan, I, I just, I yeah, I really did think it was just like a joy to read. And maybe that's just coming off of Tommy Knockers. Sorry, Tommy, mm-hmm. Tommy heads out there, Tommy boys. But I've got to say, uh, this is just, uh, uh, it was a joy to read something that was as, as like tight and uh, interesting and just really well put together um, coming off of that book and gave me, gave me really, really, um, gave me a lot of hope for the, for the future, the books that we're going to be reading, like Four Past Midnight, which is our next book that we're going to be covering, which is, which is a collection of short stories, um, not to jump ahead too much. So uh, Dan, what did you think? What is your nose rating for The Dark Half? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm fluctuating back and forth, but I'm gonna have to settle on three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses, uh, mainly for that what I brought up already of audience learning information before so many of the characters do. Um, just that middle stretch gets a little little long for me, and I I get hungry to get to the end of the book. Um, that being said, three and a half is still really good. I think that's what I gave. Oh man, I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to say that cause I don't, I want to be consistent with my opinions, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, three and a half is like what I, what I say for like the really solid King books that are, that are good, easy reads with the, some spooky stuff, but maybe aren't quite in classic territory for me. So uh, I'm, I'm sticking to a strong three and a half red, red Pennywise clown noses. But when I go to post my rating on Goodreads, I'll probably do four stars cause you can't do halves. So <laughs> right. I always, I always round up. So, th- so I, I think right. overall we can, can say we gave this one for for bright red pennywise condos it's between our three ratings awesome and if you're interested in what our other losers think reach out on social media once again and <laughs> ask them because i'm sure they have something <laughs> to say uh and hopefully they'll they'll listen to this episode and and tell us that we missed this and this and this and this and then we'll get to talk about it all over again in the coming weeks when we cover the 1993 adaptation of The Dark Half, where we'll also talk briefly about a video game adaptation <laughs> that apparently exists. Uh, so uh, oh, do yeah, some research on that, that too. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 that's very, that? very strange. But uh, I got to believe it's one of those like early, you know... Storyline is that like one of those first person or you all I can think of is like one of those those like computer games where it's like you know go through door um you know uh, click on uh, or touch sparrow on wall you know (laughs) stuff like that but uh but maybe it's maybe it's cooler than that maybe it's like a scroller or whatever I don't know uh ultimately thank you so much for listening to this podcast again we are the losers club the Stephen King podcast if you like what you hear here. Definitely go onto iTunes and rate us. That helps us hugely. 
Um, it, whether you listen to us on Stitcher or any of these other programs, uh, we would love it if you spread the word. If you don't like it, spread the word and tell them and uh, tell your enemies uh, <laughs> that it's, <laughs> it's great. Um, we're really excited. Uh, thank you so much for sticking with us uh, over the last two years, and we're into our third season right now. Uh, again, we are going to be covering Four Past Midnight uh, sooner than later. So that'll be the next book to read, um, which I, I think, and I, I, I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I think if that, if that has the sun dog in it, I believe Pangborn shows up in that as well. I think so. so and, all, uh, and also Mac, I think, I think this means we're at the end of our eighties for Stephen King, right? I think Spore Past Midnight is the, the first book of 1990. Oh, wow. So, I think I, so yeah, yeah. if that's the case, then we're going to be doing a little wrap up soon of the 80s books. Um, so, 80s yeah, so yeah. so definitely we'll be having another little Kingies episode for all you fans out there. You know what the Kingies are. It's our yeah. little Oscars of the of the Stephen King universe. And each decade we do a little wrap up. So look forward to that as well. Um, we're excited to be bringing you this coverage and we hope you really enjoyed all the pet cemetery coverage over the last month. Uh, we were really lucky to have a lot of those interviews and Dan was responsible for a lot of that being down there without further ado. I think it's time to sign off. So long, um, long days, days and pleasant, and pleasant nights. nights. Dan will one one day we'll get that with the, <laughs> we'll get that down with the, with the delay. <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard. I don't know. Right, when, when, uh, my next in person one, we'll get it. Until then, thanks, readers and listeners. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you Consequence Podcast Network.